And uh, I, I'm especially excited, I think, I think even uh, more encouraged by the time we uh, spent last weekend with Mission Encounter. Uh, it, was, uh, it was great just kind of bringing a, a culmination to uh, just a focus on missions for the month of October, and we uh, received our offering last week, and it was uh, uh, in, in pledges, we received uh, about $3,500 in actual monies received. $26,173. So the total right now, yes, yeah. Our total in, in offering and pledges right now stands at $29,673, which uh, is uh, a great uh, encouragement to me. I think that's just a great uh, progress toward our missions goal for the year. Um, the, uh, the goal that the outreach team has set for us is 41800 So this is just a, a great step of progress towards that. And, you know, the, the thing that is just a, a great encouragement to me about uh, this offering is that this is money that is going directly towards the advancement uh, of God's kingdom here, uh, not only in Enid, but around the world. And this is, uh, is money that is... Uh, being stored up as treasure in heaven. And so uh, continue to, to pray with me uh, for the completion of this goal. You have between now and the end of the year to still get in on this if you haven't had a chance uh, to give at this time. We, we read uh, Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, just a few minutes ago. I do want to encourage you to open your Bible so we can put our eyes on this text Keep our eyes on it as we are in this letter to the Ephesians. The idea in going through the letter of Ephesians is that that we would gain a a greater grasp on God's grace. That that God's grace is an effective grace. He, He has a purpose in mind. The grace of God shapes the people of God to walk with God. And so we are, uh, as we are in the book of Ephesians, we are saying, God, let us experience more and more of your grace. So please follow along with me. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will that he set forth in Christ according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would open our eyes, open the eyes of our hearts, that we would see the wonderful things that you have for us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In his farewell address, George Washington said these words, Can it be that providence has not connected the permanent happiness of a nation 
with its virtue. It rendered impossible by its vices. John Adams was the second president of the United States, and and he had this to say, Suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book and every member should regulate his conduct by the principles there exhibited. What a utopia, what a paradise would this region be? Now, I, I share these quotes with you as, as a reminder that for many generations we have had a, an understanding in our country that the foundational structures of our country are built on, on biblical principles. And as you're, you're well aware that for the past generation, there has been a, a throwing off, an attempt by many to throw off these biblical foundations, redefining the structures uh, of our society, those, those foundational structures of, especially of, of family and, and we have enjoyed many benefits because we have been operating by biblical principles in so many areas. And, and so we shouldn't be surprised that if in the coming years we ex- continue to experience less and less of these benefits, that we, we see an erosion of, of many of the benefits we have enjoyed as a country because we are just throwing off as a society God's direction. But, but the reason in, in pointing that out to you is that I, I think that this is a really important time for us as Christians. Because I think this is a perfect time for us as Christians to be able to display to the world, to be able to boldly announce to the world that we have not lost any substantial blessing. We are still blessed people because we belong to Jesus Christ. After all, this is how Paul opened this letter to the Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So so if our country experiences greater hardship in our circumstances, we are the people who can stand up and say, we still have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, Paul is writing this from prison. Paul is writing, we have every spiritual blessing as he is a prisoner to the Roman emperor. And so Paul is is wanting the the Ephesians to, to capture this vision of the blessing that is theirs because of Jesus Christ. And this blessing is is coming from God's grace, and and he's walking them through the, the blessing that how God's grace is expressed in their lives through adoption and through redemption and through their inheritance. And this morning, I want us to particularly look at this blessing of, adoption, of, of redemption, the blessing of ours that, that is our redemption. And so I need to, to examine why is redemption such a blessing? Why is that a blessing in your life? The fact that, that you're redeemed, why is that a blessing God's given you? What's the benefit of that? And then, what's it for? If God has blessed you, what's he trying to do in your life by blessing you with that? And then lastly, how does the redemption that Jesus has purchased for you actually triumph in your life? So, redemption. 
why it's a blessing, what it's for, and how it actually triumphs in your life. First of all, why redemption is a blessing. There's this hymn, and it starts out, Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Now, I don't know if, I'm, I'm guessing that you're probably like me, and that when, when you respond to somebody on the street and they ask you how you're doing, the first thing that comes out of your mouth is not, I'm redeemed. Why is that? Other than it just being weird. <laughs> okay. My goal here is not to say, you know, okay, let's try to adopt these like little cliches, these trite phrases that we use. I, I want to get underneath that. I want to get underneath that and, and ask, wh- why is it that so oftentimes we don't think of redemption as a blessing? And, and I'm using we because I, I'm in that boat too. I, I'm with you on this. That, that when I, I, I look at you know, what makes life good, I have to really sometimes work to remind myself, oh yeah, I'm, I'm redeemed. God has redeemed me. And, and part of that is we need to understand what are we talking about when we talk about redemption? What does it mean when we say you're redeemed? Redemption comes from a Greek word, and that word is apolutrosis. Now, you don't have to remember that, that word. Just remember this. Apolutrosis means basically to be set free or to be released. Now, it, it comes to us in Acts chapter 3, verse 13. The God of our fathers glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Pilate had decided to apolutrosis Jesus. Instead, we know that, that Jesus was, was crucified. Now, there's times where this idea of, of release being set free is connected with a price being paid. And, and that's what we find here in, in the letter of Ephesians in, in verse 7 where it says, in him we have redemption through his blood. This, the idea of, of redemption in the Old Testament looked back most often to the release of the Israelites from the land of Egypt. The Israelites are under Pharaoh as their slave master. They are slaves, uh, unable to rescue themselves. God raises up Moses to to lead his people out of Egypt. And if you remember the the final plague where, where God is going to now actually bring his people out of the land of Egypt, he sends the death angel into the land. And the death angel is going to, to kill the firstborn of everyone. Israelites and Egyptians. You see, see, God didn't come in to rescue the Israelites because Israelites are good and Egyptians are bad. That God said the firstborn is going to be killed. That the release of God's people was going to be a release that was going to require that they take shelter under the blood of a lamb. That a lamb had to be slaughtered and the blood had to be painted on the sides and on the top of the door. And it was only as the people, by faith, took refuge under the blood of a lamb that they would actually be set free and they would be saved from God's judgment. 1,400 years later, Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb of God, rescued his people from an even greater slave master 
of sin and death. And that our only hope of experiencing the release that Jesus has given to us is that we would take refuge under his blood. See, that is what it means that Jesus has redeemed us. The redemption of Jesus is that Jesus has actually set you free. And the reason why I think we often don't count redemption as such a blessing is that we lose sight of the real nature of sin. We lose sight of of what sin really is. In, In the Bible repeatedly, sin is talked about as an enslaving power. Proverbs 5 verse 22. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. Too often we have this this tame view of sin. that we, We tend to see sin as like this naughty puppy rather than a ravenous wolf. And what makes sin especially insidious and what makes the slavery so uh, tight is that we get deceived. We get deceived into not even realizing that we are actually enslaved. Listen to Ephesians 4 verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. And, and this, this blinding, this, this darkness is, is an active opposition that is being worked on by our enemy Satan. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And we need to remember that That sin, it will enslave us. That is its nature, is to make us slaves. And and that we need God to open up our eyes to see sin really is holding us captive. That's what makes redemption such a blessing, is that, that Jesus, by his death, has freed us from the power of sin. John Calvin said that Christ's sacrifice was a battering ram on the power and penalty of sin. I love that picture, that that Jesus, by his death on the cross, beat sin to death. That its power and its penalty have been broken. Now, there's there's an additional factor in this, that we need to understand that what makes our, our redemption such a blessing is that we were actually under the just judgment of God. I mean, look at where it says in, in verse 7, it says, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That, that a, a trespass is, is crossing a boundary. So this is what makes our, our, our situation with sin uh, incredibly desperate, is that, that we are not only enslaved, we've actually been enslaved because we crossed a boundary. We crossed out of the land of of trusting God and loving Him into a land of disbelief, refusing to trust God and loving other things more than we loved God. This is the first commandment. Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, 
the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. For this reason, our sin puts us under the just judgment of God. Romans 2 verse 5 says this, Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's judgment will be revealed. See, that's the bad news. But it's, it's the bad news we must look in the eye and we, we, we must face it so that we can actually be ready to hear the good news of what Christ has actually accomplished for us in his death. It's when, when you are willing to confess before God that, that sin is this enslaving power, when you are willing to, to come to God and, and you are willing to acknowledge that, that sin has put you under the just judgment of God. You are ready to be freed by Christ and you are ready to receive the full payment that Christ has made on your behalf with his death. See, this is the beauty of the gospel. This is the, the beauty of redemption. That redemption is a blessing because you are set free from the power and the penalty of sin and redemption is a blessing because you are forgiven. You are set free from the just judgment of God. See, it's even better than that. Because keep following with me in verse 7. As he says, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Do you, do you realize that when, when God gave you his grace, that it didn't tax him, it didn't exhaust God to give you his grace. When, when we were visiting here uh, in Enid for the first time, we were returning to the airport and uh, we, we got onto the turnpike. Now, we didn't have turnpikes in Oregon. Uh, so we didn't really know what we were getting into. We just saw the sign that says exact change required. So I've got a dollar and we've got some change. I'm like, we're going to be okay. We'll be fine. Until we get up to the toll booth. And it's like, there's just this hopper. And my dollar bill is not going to go in the hopper. And so uh, we, we back up and there's the, the, the change machine. So I stick my dollar bill in the change machine. Like it's going to be fine. And then it <laughs> spits it right back out. Like this is now the moment of panic for me. So I'm thinking, I, I tell friends, empty out your purse. So like, we're, like this is a rental car. There's not going to be any change in the ashtray. I mean, we're sunk. And I'm just envisioning, she's like, can we just go? I'm like, no, they'll arrest us. We'll, we'll never get out of Oklahoma. Um, and then, and then this, this, this woman comes up behind us in this pickup. And uh, I think she saw me like scrounging on the ground looking for uh, quarters. And she, uh, she holds up this gallon Ziploc bag full of quarters. And she says, here, let me help you out. Uh, God is not like me, scrounging around for the payment of our sin. God is like this woman in a truck who pays for my sin and your sin with his grace and has plenty left over. There was this saying that the Puritans were fond of. It says, there is more grace in Christ than there is sin in you. You know, there may be some sin that you're particularly struggling with. Something that, that it just keeps plaguing you and you say, you know, is, is God going to run out of grace for me? 
And I want to remind you, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. The freedom, the forgiveness, the grace, they're for you. That's what makes redemption such a blessing. But what's it for? Why did God do this? See, God has a purpose in your redemption. What is redemption for? Now, as Paul gets into what our redemption is for, he starts piling on some lofty ideas, some pretty dense language. And so I'm going to ask you, just just stick with me. I I want us to try to follow Paul's train of thought. You're going to have to put on your thinking cap for a minute, but but don't get lost. This is going to get practical. So this is practical for you. It doesn't matter if you are the, the addict that just got your life cleaned up and you just met Jesus and you're still trying to get it together, or whether you go to work in a suit every day and you got your life all planned out and the greatest thing you struggle with is pride. This is for you. Look, follow along with me here in, in what God is doing in, starting in verse 8. Because it's talking about he lavishes grace upon us in all wisdom and insight. The grace that God gave you is for a purpose. It God's grace is not a reaction that, you know, that the train has gone off the rails. And now God's like, this is a mess. I guess I better use my grace and, and then we can get back on track. That God's grace is, is an expression of his wisdom. And his, his wisdom is now being expressed in verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will. See, God, God gave you his grace that he would bring you into the boardroom and put you in a seat at the table. And he wants you to understand. He wants you to understand his will. Seems like as, as, as Christians grow in their walk with Jesus, an inescapable question is, what's God's will for my life? Well, well Paul is saying that's one of the reasons why, why Jesus bought you he freed you he forgave you he he wants you to know his will he doesn't want it to be a secret but it does say here the mystery of his will so so paul drops the word mystery on us to to understand what paul is talking about here we have to go to chapter three so if you go with me to chapter three starting in verse three he says how the mystery was made known to me by revelation so, so Paul is saying, I know it. God has revealed it to me. Now, look with me at verse 5. Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So, so this mystery is not something that other people have been able to figure out. That, that the, the, the mystery of God is not something that if you just get enough information, you're going to be able to figure it out. It's something that God has to reveal to you. And, and specifically, when Paul is thinking about what is it that people hadn't been able to figure out, but now God has revealed, we see it in verse 6. 
This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So, so there was this, this mystery that's now revealed that Jews and Gentiles are now being brought together in the church. But that is simply a historical expression of something bigger. Go back with me to, ver- to chapter 1. So he's made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. So so what God is doing in history is to actually be able to show something of Jesus. That that God has a purpose that is met in Jesus. Jesus is the linchpin of everything. You, You remove Jesus, all of history falls apart. Now, that was the purpose. That's what God was doing back here. He was looking ahead. He says, I'm, I'm planning this. As I, as I look ahead into all of the mess that people are going to make of the world, I, I'm going I'm to rescue people because I've got a purpose. And, and look at that. In, in verse 9, it says, or verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time. So, so what God is doing in history is, is, is moving somewhere. That God has a plan for history. History is not a, a repeated cycle of events. It's not simply the rise and fall of nations. That, that God has a plan for history. It's moving somewhere. And now, this is all drum roll. So, so Paul has been drum roll, drum roll, drum roll. It's, it's building, it's crescendoing. And here is the symbol clash that we get in verse 10 where it says, To unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. So, so what's God doing? What, what is God doing in history that now impacts your life? Your life now is, becomes the focal point of God's redemption that God wants to unite everything in Jesus. God wants to unite you to Jesus and everything in your life to Jesus. This is why what, what's prayed for in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That, that God's plan is that everything would be united in Jesus. That's why verse 7 began with, in him. In him, in Jesus is our redemption. And, and, and that's why it's moving to verse 10 where it says to unite all things in Him. You see, the universe has these deep fractures in it. It's, it's, it's broken. And, and those fractures go to the depth of every single human heart. And God's putting it all back together. And it's going to be put all back together when it's in Jesus' hand. There have been some that have wanted to say, well, well, look, if everything's going to be united in Jesus, that means really in the end, everybody gets in. No, that, that's, that's not going to work. And it's not going to work mainly because there's too many other places in Scripture where it says, if you reject Jesus, if you reject his redemption, if you reject him as king, you will be separated from him forever. 
Jesus himself actually warned us in John 5, verses 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So so the point is that everything has been united in Jesus because he has the authority. So the question is, what what is God's redemption in your life for? God's redemption in your life is so that all of your life would be brought under the direction of Jesus. That's why God freed you, so that you would be able to follow Jesus. That's why God forgave you, so that you would be able to trust Jesus. That is why God is pouring out his grace on you, so that you would be able to experience life in Jesus. Now, how does that actually triumph in your life? How does that work out? I want to suggest just three ways that, that redemption actually triumphs. When, when the Israelites left Egypt, they plundered the Egyptians. They left triumphantly. That God has, God has obtained a victory for you. God obtained a victory for you on the cross. And so he wants that victory to triumph. And here's how it happens. First of all, redemption triumphs in your life when you don't try to make up for your sin. Redemption triumphs in your life when you don't try to make up for your sin. How often have you found yourself, you, 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 you let the wrong words slip out of your mouth. You, you, you lost your temper. You, you were looking at things you weren't supposed to be looking at. And, and the response is that you try to cut a deal with God. You, you, know, you say, God, I'll, I'll, I won't miss another quiet time for the rest of the month. Okay, it's October 30th. Next month, I won't miss a single one. That God, I'll, you know, I, I'll go to church more. That, that, that we do practices, and, and, and we're, we think we're paying God back. That that is not living in the redemption that Jesus purchased for you. You see, God did not put Jesus on the cross so that you could pay him back. God doesn't need us to pay him back. In uh, Acts 17, verse 25, it says, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. Do we serve God? Yes. But we don't serve him as debtors. God doesn't need you to pay him back. You see, nothing we do in the Christian life should ever be done with an attitude of, I got to pay God back for what he's done for me. No. Colossians 2 verse 13. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. So redemption triumphs in your life when you refuse to try to pay God back. Instead, you draw on his grace. Secondly, redemption triumphs in your life when you commit your life into God's hands. If you want the redemption Jesus purchased for you to be on display, commit your life into the hands of Jesus. Psalm 31, verse 5. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. 
into your hand I commit my spirit. That might have a familiar ring to you. You might say, where have I heard that before? It's at the cross. It was Jesus' last words before he died. Jesus, on the cross, giving up his life, now commits his life into the hands of the Father. That we show that we are committing our lives into the hands of God when we die to ourselves. When we die to ourselves, when we give our lives up for others, when we give up our own agenda and we commit to God's agenda, that, that committing your life into the hands of God is saying, I'm not playing for team me anymore. I'm playing for team Jesus. That Jesus is the one who makes the game plan and Jesus is the one who calls the plays. See, that's how redemption triumphs in your life. And then lastly, redemption triumphs in your life through worship. Redemption triumphs in your life through worship. When we think about worship, we, we have to think bigger than simply singing. We have to think about this is the attitude that we have, the, the, the overflow of our hearts. That remi- I want to remind you about the way that, that Paul started this section. Verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, Blessed be the God of our, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That Paul is engaging in worship. When Paul talks about redemption, he's worshiping God. One of our tendencies is to come to Scripture to look for something that works for our lives. Now, God's Word has much to teach us, and we can learn much about how we should live life from God's Word. But, but if, if we're coming to Scripture, first of all, to say, I need something that works. Give me some steps to follow. I, I need a life hack. Then what we are subtly doing and I, I learned this in, in reading uh, Ed Welch. He's a counselor and author. He says, if, if the question that you're asking God is, God, what works? Then you are, are subtly treating God like a genie. That you are expecting that he will exist to serve you. And that, that what you're, you're doing is, is you're, you're trying Jesus just like somebody else tries an acupuncturist. Does he work? And the real question, before we can ever find what works, we have to ask the question, who am I worshiping? What am I worshiping? You see, this is really what will pry our hearts off of worshiping ourselves and turn our attention to Jesus. Before you ask what works, say, who am I worshiping? Before you seek solutions, seek Jesus. Worship him. This is what it looks like when, when redemption triumphs. When God leads his people out of slavery from sin. Hey, he leads them to the promised land. It's the inheritance. It's, it's what we have in front of us for next week. But we are the people 
who have put our faith in Jesus and have experienced his redemption. A blessing of freedom from the penalty and the power of sin. A blessing of escaping the judgment of God. A blessing of grace upon grace overflowing from God. For the purpose of uniting ourselves and all of our lives to Jesus. That the redemption of Jesus would triumph in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters who are here this morning. I pray that they would know the blessing of being set free by Jesus. Not burdened by the power of sin anymore. Not enslaved to their own agendas, but freed in Jesus. And I pray that they would be able to say with Paul, Blessed be you, God, our Father, for setting us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand with me this morning and hear the blessing of God from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed.